Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Are fertilizers overused? That's what America's favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, says. She also deciphers all that information on a fertilizer label so you know exactly what's in it and what it will do, if anything, for your plants. Meanwhile, in the great indoors, spring is the time for repotting houseplants. We chat with the author of Houseplant Warrior, Rafael Delalo, about how to go about repotting houseplants for the best success. And we get a quick tip about answering that oh-so-common question, hey, what's the name of that plant? We talk about the best apps for identifying pictures of plants accurately, and that's the key, and how your local garden club can help you in your gardening journey to pinpoint those best local plants as well. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Here on the Garden Basics podcast, one thing we harp on, but it's true, read and follow all label directions, be it a pesticide or a fertilizer, or for that matter, a seed packet, because you're going to have the best success if you do follow it. There's a lot of interest in organic-like products when it comes to fertilizers, especially. And if you see the word natural on a label, well, Debbie Flower is here, our favorite, um, uh, excuse me, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. Debbie, what does natural mean? Natural has no definition, Fred. Things like organic, the term organic has legal definition, but natural does not. So it tells us nothing. I think it's just used sort of as eye candy. So if you see the word natural, especially if it's prominently on the front of the label, that should be a red flag that, well, what's really in this? So take us through how to read a fertilizer label. One of the more popular uh, fertilizer amendments uh, these days includes kelp meal or seaweed. A lot of people tout its benefits, but in a lot of situations, that's not the only thing in that package. Right. By law, and there are laws about how fertilizers are packaged and what has to be said on the label that you can read when you buy it at the store. Not a label hidden somewhere else, but one that you can see before you purchase that package. And either on the front or the back will be the analysis, which are three numbers. The first one is percent nitrogen. Second one is percent phosphoric acid, and the third one is percent potash. So NPK is how it's typically referred. And for green growth, uh, phosphorus is often is for energy, and potassium is for um, tolerance of uh, environment. All around health. All around health, yes. But plants need 16 or more nutrients in order to survive. So those three are the ones the plant uses in large amounts, and they also move out of the root zone uh, fairly quickly. And so those are the three that are required by law. But you can look much more closely. There will be another 
table on the package, either on the front or the back, and it'll say guaranteed analysis. And it goes through everything that is measured in that fertilizer. Not necessarily everything, but everything that is measured and reported in that fertilizer. And the place I always go first when I'm picking out a, a fertilizer is the bottom of that guaranteed analysis table, which is the derived from. And that will tell me where the fertilizer was made. If it says uh, seaweed powder, then I know they went to an ocean and harvested from an existing uh, environment and got seaweed. If it says ammonium phosphate, then that was made in a laboratory. Potassium nitrate, a laboratory. Urea. There is natural urea, but the urea found in fertilizers is also made in a laboratory. Uh, blood meal, that would come from animals that have probably been slaughtered for consumption by humans. Fish meal, same thing. That would probably come from the leftovers of fish that are consumed by humans. There are things that are mined, which includes bone meal and sulfur. And then there are other things that may have come in along with those other products, uh, micronutrients or, or heavy metals. Iron might be in there. Zinc might be in there. Copper might be in there. And those were probably not intentionally put in there, but they came along with other products that this fertilizer was derived from. I won't say it's rare, but it's unusual if you get a soil test done that you find very many micronutrient deficiencies. But it pays to have your soil tests done and then choose the appropriate fertilizer. Yes, that is a good thing to do when you're starting a garden and especially something good to do when you're if your plants are showing symptoms of of not being happy. Fertilizers, I think, are overused. I think people apply them because they think they should, because the label of the fertilizer says it should be applied, because the ad on television gives you a calendar during which you should apply these fertilizers. But fertilizers should be applied in response to deficiency symptoms in plants. Yeah, exactly. That's a hard habit to break. And in fact, in a lot of situations, if you're just feeding your soil with mulch and compost, that may be all the uh, nutrients it needs. Yes, that's especially true for woody plants, trees and shrubs. They don't typically need lots of fertilizer. If it's a plant that you are harvesting from, so in your vegetable garden, you're taking lots of tomatoes off the plant, or you have fruit trees that you're taking a lot of fruit off of the plant, then that may call for slightly more fertilizer application. And then the other case is lawns. Lawns are grass, and grass is a high user of nitrogen, and nitrogen moves very quickly out of the landscape. But you can just mulch and especially mulching with chicken manure, composted chicken manure, and have uh, solve your nutrition problems that way too. And sometimes you get into a habit of doing things because you heard that, oh, well, this is great for transplants. Uh, it, kelp meal or seaweed comes to mind that if you're doing transplanting, that the seaweed can help root development. Are there any university studies to that effect? There are no scientifically based studies that show that kelp meal or seaweed have any desirable effects on plants. People will tell you that they are plants and they provide what plants need, including some hormones that plants need, but externally provided hormones of these, the type you find in those do not have an effect on plants. We have discovered, though, that over the years that certain uh, horticultural amendments that uh, are very popular, things like seaweed and uh, peat moss, actually have environmental drawbacks. Right. These are things that are made by nature and 
to date, the way we are collecting them is by going into nature and taking what we want. And that is not sustainable. In the case of seaweed and kelp, it provides a habitat for the organisms, fish and otherwise, that live in the water. Peat moss is a different habitat and it's created by nature. And when we go in and take it away, we are removing that habitat. So we are doing earth destruction by collecting these products and in the case of seaweed and kelp, they are not providing our plants with anything they need or anything they can't get anywhere else. They also have been known some of the seaweeds and kelps are actually accumulators of heavy metals. They can only live in fairly shallow water, so they're fairly close to the edge of, of the body of water. And if something like a, a manufacturing plant is nearby and some of their waste gets washed off, or there's a highway, and the waste gets washed off the, the surface of the highway into the water, all water goes downhill, all water ends up in the ocean if it's not collected in the soil then the heavy metals that is washed off with that water can end up in the seaweed. And then we apply it to our garden and then we potentially eat it if we are harvesting from that garden. That is dangerous. So this is another good reason to get a soil test, especially if, been, if you've been using some of these products on a regular basis for a number of years, is get that complete soil test done. That would indicate the amount of metals that may be in your soil. And what does a gardener do? Build raised beds at that point? Right. If you do find that your garden soil is full of heavy metals, and there are other reasons for that, like uh, lead in paint. So you have to specify you want the heavy metal soil test. And if you find out you do have it, then grow ornamentals there and grow your, your edibles elsewhere or put in a raised bed with a solid bottom so that the plants can't get their roots into the heavy metal soil and use container media. There you go. Solve your uh, heavy metal issues right there uh, with that. There is more and more movement in horticultural circles, and it's a trend, and we, we see these trends develop, and this one's picking up steam. It's like the pick-and-drop method of mulching. is basically pulling weeds and then adding it to your compost pile or doing something with it so it's returned back to nature. Yes, yeah, so we walked my garden earlier, and I oh, we're, we're in your garden. We're in my garden. Yes, we're sitting in the shade of the tree and on the patio in the shade of the tree. Lovely place to be. And we walked the garden earlier, and I don't know if you noticed, but there are piles of weeds all over the place because if they do not have seed formed on them, I am willing to just pull them and let them lie on the soil. The two things I will remove are weeds with seeds, take them out of the landscape, and. Uh, undesirable Bermuda grass because it will root from its its stems. Rhizomes, stolons, and seeds, the triple threat of Bermuda grass. But if you're a good gardener, and it, it takes persistence to get out there and pull these weeds before they flower, it's perfectly good as mulch or compost. Right, and it returns those nutrients to the soil. So you may not even have to buy that sea kelp. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or you can have a formal compost pile and, and get your work out by turning it. And your worms will eat it, too. Yes, they will. So if you don't do anything else, get your soil tested. Two of my go-to places for soil tests include the University of Massachusetts Amherst and Colorado State University. You can do an Internet search for their soil testing facilities. They're very reasonably priced. It's a fairly complete soil test, too. And uh, unless you know somebody locally who does a complete soil test, that would be my go-to recommendation. But uh, find out what's in your soil before you add anything to it. Debbie Flower, a beautiful day in your garden. Thank you. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. You're welcome. 
I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's SmartPots. SmartPots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. SmartPots are sold around the world, and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. SmartPots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles, and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, SmartPots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits, too. Water drainage issues? Not with SmartPots. Roots that go round and round, choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with SmartPots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. SmartPots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your SmartPot order by using the coupon code FRED. F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the SmartPot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of SmartPot's lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount, SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Here's a quick tip. All successful gardening is local. And if you're wondering what plants thrive in your own neighborhood, go take a walk. See what looks good. Maybe the homeowner is working in their yard. So strike up a conversation with them. Gardeners are usually very friendly people. And when it comes to plant identification, there are a lot of inexpensive or even free apps that can help you identify those pictures that you take of those plants that you don't know the name of. And as you might assume, there have been university studies done to determine the best plant picture identification apps. In fact, the Horticulture Department at Michigan State University has been testing and ranking plant picture apps for four years now. And their top-performing app, according to their latest evaluation, was Picture This, with 67% of the suggested identifications being correct. Following this lead, there was a cluster of three apps with about 50% accuracy, PlantNet, PlantStory, and LeafSnap. These top four apps all displayed 50% or greater accuracy for flowering broadleaf ornamentals as well as broadleaf weeds. Surprisingly, the 2020 second runner-up, iNaturalist, came in fifth place with about 30% accuracy. And we'll have a link to this study in today's show notes. But obviously, most of us don't have access to the successful plants that might be in everyone's backyards. However, your local garden club just might. Local garden clubs are a great resource for good plant information as well as horticultural events. Your local garden clubs just might be conducting home plant tours this spring as a fundraiser. Many garden clubs have fundraising activities for worthwhile causes such as college horticultural scholarships and grants, local beautification projects, and ongoing educational programs such as elementary school gardens. 
Spring plant sales, of course, are one source of revenue. And another is selling tickets for local home garden tours, that chance to take a peek into the backyards of some outstanding gardeners. One such tour is happening this weekend, April 23rd and 24th, here in Folsom, California, put on by the Folsom Garden Club. You can find out more information about that at their website, FolsomGarden.org. But chances are you, too, are close to a garden club that's doing the exact same thing in your area in the near future. Here in California, you can find a list of many of the garden clubs in the Golden State at CaliforniaGardenClubs.com. Around the country, look for a garden organization near you, courtesy of the National Garden Club, their website, GardenClub.org. We'll have links to those two organizations in today's show notes as well. Yes, and I realize that right about now, anyone listening to this under the age of 50 is probably rolling their eyes and muttering, yeah, and you could probably Google the phrase, garden club near me. Yeah, okay, fine. By the way, you don't have to be a gardener to join a garden club. If your goal is to find out more about what grows well in your area, joining a local garden club is a great way to begin your journey to acquiring that green thumb. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode in the show notes. Maybe you'd rather read it than listen to it. That's not a problem. We have a complete transcript posted, and you can find that link in the show notes or on our new homepage, GardenBasics.net. That's where you can find that link as well as all the previous episodes of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. There, you can leave a message or link up with our social media pages, including our YouTube video page. And at GardenBasics.net, click on the tab at the top of the page to read the Garden Basics Beyond Basics newsletter. And that usually has a bonus podcast attached to it. Plus, in the show notes, there are links to any products or books mentioned during the show and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Want to leave us a question? Again, check the links at GardenBasics.net. And when you click on any episode at GardenBasics.net, you're going to find a link to SpeakPipe, where you can leave us an audio question without making a phone call. Or go to them directly, SpeakPipe.com slash GardenBasics. You want to call us? We have that number posted at GardenBasics.net. Spoiler alert, it's 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. Email? Sure, send it along with your pictures to fred at farmerfred.com. Or again, go to GardenBasics.net to get that link. And if you send us a question, be sure to tell us where you're gardening, because as I am fond of saying, all gardening is local. Find it all at GardenBasics.net. We're talking with Rafael Delalo, author of the book Houseplant Warrior. He's also the creator of a wonderful website about houseplants, OhioTropics.com. It's springtime. Uh, a lot of people are outdoors planting. What about indoor plants and repotting plants? How can you tell when your plant, your house plants need repotting? And is spring really the best time of the year to do it? Sure. There's a number of things that I look for that will indicate to me if a plant needs a, a larger pot or not. And of course, you won't really know until you take the plant out. But what I look for is this. So the uh, many times I, I actually just repotted a 
a Thanksgiving cactus that I have growing indoors. And it's been in the same pot for years. And if you try to touch the surface of, of the, the potting mix, it was all roots. It was just a hard mat of roots. So that's, that, that's a pretty sure sign that you, you probably need a bigger pot. Another thing I look for is, you know, look, look at the drainage hole at the bottom of the pot. Are there any roots growing out? That's another indication, too, that your, your pot is full of roots. Another thing, too, is sometimes people write to me and they say, oh, I've, I haven't changed a thing with my plant. I've been doing the same thing for a long time, and now suddenly it looks horrible. And, you know, this comes into play if you have a strict watering schedule. You know, it may work for a while, but eventually your pot's going to become full of roots. And suddenly your watering schedule, you know, your once a week watering schedule might start to fail because your plant's going to need water much more frequently if your pot's full of roots. So those are some indications. You won't know until you take your plant out of its pot. But springtime is definitely a great time. You know, springtime and summertime are great times to, to repot your plants. I would say just avoid, try and avoid during the winter time if you have poor conditions, you know, very low light and your plant's not growing at all. So I, I would hold off on repotting during that time. But if you're using grow lights, let's say, your plants are getting the same amount of light year round, you can safely repot at really any time of year, any time that you need to. So if, if you do have an emergency and, and you're really worried about your plant's health and it really needs to be repotted, go ahead. If you're growing year round under grow lights and you, know, you have them on 12 hours a day year round, go ahead and do whenever you want to. I would just avoid any time, you know, if your plant's not actively growing and you have dark, long days, probably best to hold off until springtime when your days are getting longer, your plants are starting to grow. That would be a good time for to, to repot any plants. There is a movement afoot here on the West Coast for when uh, transplanting outdoor plants, shrubs or small trees, is to wash off all the soil off the roots before transplanting it into its new home. Would you do something like that with a root-bound house plant, though? Would you, when you take that plant out of the pot and you see encircling roots, would you try to free up the roots, wash off the soil, and put it in fresh potting mix? And how big of a container should it go into? Personally, I do not wash the roots off. I, I've seen people do that. Personally, never, never done that. I, I would say unless you have, you know, some kind of pest in your soil, I, I would prefer not to do that. My philosophy is, you know, try and disturb the roots as little as possible. But that being said, if you have, like you're saying, if you have a really root bound plant with roots encircled at the bottom, I always loosen, I always try to tease the roots loose a little bit and loosen the root ball, you know, at the bottom of the root ball and then at the sides as well. Um, so I do do that. And sometimes, you know, some of the soil will, will come free and that's fine. For the most part, I, I try and keep as much intact as I can. But I do loosen the root ball. You know, I'll, I'll give an example um, just to show the importance of it. You know, if your plant is not severely root bound, you can probably get away with not loosening the root ball pretty easily. But if you have a really root bound plant, it's very important. One, one time many years ago before I knew any better, I had a piece lily that I, that I put in a new pot. And it was really, really root-bound. I gave it a, a bigger pot. I was expecting it to respond a little bit better than, than, um, than it was. It was just sulking there for maybe a year or so. And then I, I, I was asking myself, why is it not growing? You know, it's not doing as well as I thought. So then I took it out of that pot. And there, were, there wasn't a single root that grew into the new potting mix. And it was all because 
all the roots were so tightly bound and I did loosen the root ball. So that so that's that's a good example of you know why it's important to to do that. In terms of the size of a of a pot that you use, in general, I'm not saying you know this is every single case ever, but in general, I always recommend only going up one pot size. Um, and by that I mean let's say you have you know a four inch diameter pot and it's time for a new pot, only go up to a six inch diameter pot. Um, you know I see a, a lot of people go much too big in terms of the pot. And so what happens there is that the soil or your potting mix is going to take a lot longer to dry out. And that can cause a lot of issues down the line with perhaps root rot if your conditions um, are you know poor enough to cause that. So it's always better to stick with smaller than you think. And go by the size of the root system and not necessarily by the size of the leaves and the stems. You know, sometimes the, the plant might appear to be nice and big, and but the root system isn't very large. You still want to pot up by the size of the root system and not necessarily by what you see above above the soil. I, I am enchanted with the fact that the, you use the term tease the roots loose. And whereas a lot of people, especially with outdoor plants, they will cut the roots when transplanting. If they find a, a, a root bound plant, they might take out a screwdriver or a box cutter and score on four sides and a big yeah. X across the bottom. Can you do that? Can you take yes. weapons out to your house? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you can definitely take weapons out. Before I touch on that topic, it's funny because sometimes I have, um, you know, a, a plant that I'm afraid I'll, I'll harm if I take it out of the pot. So sometimes if I have, you know, a terracotta pot or a pot that I don't really care much about, I'll take a hammer to the pot and, and break it. I get some backlash about that on, on social media. <laughs> People sometimes get, get a little touchy with that. But as far as other, other wep- weapons, as, as you mentioned, um, I, it's perfectly fine to do that. Sometimes depending on if you have a really fibrous, dense root system, it can be really difficult to try and tease the roots apart with your hands. So in those cases, like you mentioned, you can score, maybe make some vertical cuts around the perimeter of the root ball. And in those areas, it'll help to encourage new roots to grow into the potting mix. Or even, you know, sometimes people slice maybe, you know, the outer quarter inch of, of the root ball, you know, that, that works as well. Otherwise I, I try and just use my hands and try and, and break up the root ball, tease some roots apart, you know, stick my fingers in there and you cut, make some holes around the perimeter so that the roots have really somewhere to, to start growing into the new potting mix. Well, weapons seem appropriate for the houseplant warrior. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this has been a pleasure talking with Rafael DeLalo, author of Houseplant Warrior, Seven Keys to Unlocking the Mysteries of Houseplant Care. The website, ohiotropics.com. And if I'm not mistaken, you're also on Instagram. I am. If you just look up ohiotropics, one word, I'm on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube and Facebook as well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Fred. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.